Hello and welcome to today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm Grace Gawler. Something a little different today. Having worked in the UK, Ireland, Europe, Hong Kong, Singapore and New Zealand as well as in Australia, I've had the opportunity to see a broad culture of cancer patients and I've learned firsthand that cancer is the same the world over. In this recent radio interview on BBC Bristol, I discuss my own journey with illness and how the mind-body approach must be in balance with smart conventional and scientifically validated complementary medicine. I do hope that you enjoy this interview. And in too deep on BBC Radio Bristol, almost 12 minutes past 11. We have been talking, you and me, since 9 o'clock this morning, about mind over matter, whether your mind can actually help you get better, whether your body is capable of just curing itself. Uh, minded of the fact that the author Ian Banks, uh, the author of The Wasp Factory and The Crow Road and Complicity and The Culture Series, he revealed yesterday on his website that he has late-stage cancer and is unlikely to live for more than a year. In fact, he's just on honeymoon at the moment with his long-term partner he asked her will you do me the honor of becoming my widow can you beat cancer we've heard some extraordinary stories from you today about the fact that you can also stories about how you can't no matter what you throw at the body well, no matter how many drugs you take ultimately if your time's up your time's up well that leads quite nicely to my guest uh, this morning uh who herself has been through a pretty interesting medical journey, not least of which uh, she was the world's first recipient of a barnic implant uh, implant that restored function to her paralysed colon. I'm joined in the studio by Grace Crawler. Grace, good morning to you. Good morning. So, have you got a barnic colon? A barnic colon indeed, and now it's a decade since I actually had this surgery. It was first performed in the Netherlands. Um, I've had about 10 feet of colon removed. It was actually caused back in 1997 as unseen complications from a, a routine hysterectomy. So here I was, a very healthy person. I'd been working with cancer patients uh, since the late 70s and uh, helping people that had colostomies and ileostomies. And here I was as a healthy person with this problem and then having to find a solution, which I found actually in the Netherlands. And it uh, gave me my life back, and I'm most grateful for that. So effectively, you haven't got an ileostomy or a colostomy. Correct. You have actually got a proper colon. I've got what remains of my lower colon. Right. And they actually left in the little piece that was paralysed. Right. And all the rest above that actually was removed, including uh, five feet of my small bowel as well. So uh, no one really wanted to know me. And in Australia, they'd run out of options. And they said, well... An ileostomy, and it was a leaking ileostomy, which was very nasty. I had a lot of burns on my tummy. And um, they said, well, you're just going to have to live with this, and it will probably take you out, you know. And I thought, well, I think I've got a lot of living still to do. And yeah. I had children. So I, I did what I actually tell most of my patients not to do, jump on the Internet. But I actually looked in my own journals, the journals that I subscribe to. <laughs> so these are medical <laughs> journals that you looked. Because, I mean, this is the problem, isn't it? it um, um, we, we've touched on this a number of times this morning. You know, if you were Ian banks or or, or yourself you, you get a diagnosis the first thing that you can do now that you couldn't do a generation ago is go on dr google and find all sorts of wonderful wacky cures you know the equivalent of the snake oil salesman is up there telling you that you can you know rub this take two of these and you know stand on your head and hey presto you you know you're mm -hmm. cured it's a miracle 
A lot of it's rubbish. Absolutely. And uh, from my own experience, I knew this, so I knew that wasn't the place to go. I had many of my colleagues ringing up and telling me to do quite ridiculous things. And I'm saying, well, excuse me, the, the major nerve that comes around is paralysed and, you know, what you're offering is not going to So what is the consequence this. of that? You, ha you have a hysterectomy, Grace. You, you, ha you end up with a paralysed curdle. What does that actually mean? Explain. Does that mean you can't eat? You can't go to the loo? It means you can't go to the loo, basically. And my bladder was also affected as well right. as my colon. So the innovation that comes around in that major nerve supply and its branches was permanently yeah. damaged. And uh, so that meant after that surgery that actually I never went to the loo. Mm. <laughs> it was nearly two years and I had massive, massive problems, yeah. as you can imagine, from yeah. that and impactions. Yeah. So it also meant what I could eat was very limited. My social life became non-existent. Um, I sort of had to become virtually a, an insular couch potato. It was a very embarrassing problem to have. And then as they started to remove pieces of colon and, and give me uh, an ileostomy many times and then colostomy, every time they rejoined the, um, the colon, the same problem happened. And then they just sort of gave up and they said, well, you're just going to have this permanent ileostomy and, and live with it. So I looked at the journals of physiology, neurophysiology, what's the latest research going on in the world? And I found at the Erasmus University Hospital in Holland that they were indeed doing this for the opposite condition, which was incontinence. And that's now being done here. I believe St. Mark's in London is now using exactly the same equipment that I have, um, but for the opposite condition. So this comes under the wonderful banner of the law of unintended consequences, that they do something for one thing, and then all of a sudden they find, hang on a minute, that might work for that as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's happened with chemotherapies even, you know, where they found that mustard gas had a certain impact on the cells, and they thought, oh, well, let's uh, try mm. this and see yeah. if it works as a chemotherapy for cancer. This may sound like an odd question, Grace, to ask you, but what was it like to be able to go to the loo, having spent two years not being able to go to the loo? Well, it was even longer than the, the two years by the time I got to Holland. I had this surgery in 1997, then I had the various pieces of colon removed, yeah. uh, and then it was 2002 by the time I got to Rotterdam, yeah. and it was amazing. It was miraculous um, to, to have that kind of damage and then have this out there medical technology science that was able to give me my life back um, and in the meantime the strategies you see this is where the mind body comes in yeah. because they said oh we have to make sure that you are psychologically stable to be able to do this as an experimental surgery and so all of the strategies that I'd used for cancer patients, um, you know, like my, my self-care, um, my resilience training, my not giving up. And when I went over from Australia, and I had to live in Holland for that, pretty well that year, um, you know, I, I was really tested to the full as, as to how that resilience was playing out in my life. And... Um, it was really challenging, and finally I realised this is what it's like to be in the shoes of a cancer patient. Everyone's telling you to do this, you've got medical options, but I think that the uh, way that I played my cards with this mm. uh, actually made a, a very big contribution because to the outcome. Because, and that's the, the, the ultimate that people look at, isn't it? You know, you're diagnosed... You want the outcome, the, out the outcome you obviously wanted, to, but it's a positive outcome. You want to be cured. And we've heard from people this morning on this program who said that they would have been, one lady specifically said that she had been given a diagnosis of terminal cancer twice in her life, twice in her life, and she has beaten it. Now, she has been cancer-free. She claims to be, she has been cancer-free, and I have no reason to doubt her, for four years, um, which is a, a wonderful thing. But I, one has to question.
question. With the amount of money that's being thrown and the medical uh, medical advances that are being done, that it can't just be as simple as resilience training and getting your mind in the right place, because the body needs a helping hand occasionally, as yours did with the with the the, the bionic colon that you've got. Effectively. Exactly. And if I had given up, I would never have found the option. Mm. And I think that's where the so resilience that's the comes in. Yeah, that's the positivity aspect. Though. Yeah, and people can be overly positive. Uh, and then ignore and just sort of push away really good medicine. And I think we're moving into a period of this personalised medicine, and I guess I'm a great example of that, where you're using smart medicine, you're using the best of both worlds, and you're joining it together, and it's not an either-or. And I think all these things are very, very individual. And, uh, and this is the difference, to, to, to make it realistic, this is the difference that every single person who goes to the doctor gets an antibiotic, whether it's a virus or a bug, and we're now at a situation where antibiotics don't work in the way they used to because we've been treating the wrong things with a broad spectrum rather than saying, okay, let's look at you, Grace, and what's wrong with you and work out what we can do to make you better with the the tools that we've got in the box, as it were. Mm. And science says that something has to be repeatable. So in my particular case, they've now done, I think it's around about 60 people in Holland because I was the experiment. So this is excellent. This is repeatable. And they are now using some psychological training with people because it's the resilience that you have to go through these things that makes the difference. But it's not the resilience that cures. Very often it's not. So you go through this personal journey. You say you become a couch potato, you don't go out, you, you don't socialise with anybody. You go through this journey of, what, five years trying to find, and you find this treatment. And I come back to my question, and it seems like a ridiculous question to ask, but I think it's actually a very important question. The moment that you're able to sit down and go to the loo, having not been able to do that for five years, must well, tell me what that moment was like. It was horrendous and it was marvellous. Yeah, okay. <laughs> horrendous in the physical sense because uh, things hadn't been used there for quite a long I time. I forgotten what it was like. But I, mean, yeah. I can't believe we're having this conversation. Uh, but I mean, but, but it's a very important conversation. It's ultimately what it's all about, isn't yeah. it? Because that's the end stop. You know, you know you are cured the moment you can sit down and take five minutes and read the paper. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, this runs on a battery. It needs to be replaced. Mm. And it, it has run out. And I did have to go back and, and, and have surgery to have a, um, a new uh, mm. neurostimulator actually yeah. put in. And um, it just started up again, and away I went. So, And it's normalcy. It's normalcy. I'm not a lady with a bag. I was deemed never to work again in uh, 2000. They wiped me off. They gave me my super and they said goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you see, I didn't sit down and take that. I thought there has to be something. I just haven't found it yet. And it wasn't a desperate looking around for the solution. It was a very measured day by day. I'm sitting down on the internet. I'm reading journals. I'm typing in the right things into Google. And thank God we had Google. I would never have wanted to have done this on Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> I'd be still which, waiting. Which is, is the upside, isn't it? You, you can call the internet is the, you know, the dustbin of humanity or it's the library of the world, and it depends what you punch in and, and, and what you get out of it. Very so much. That that has empowered you, but the danger it comes back to the, 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 the point I was making earlier, Grace, that, that it also can give you a lot of misinformation and also yep. false hope. And false hope. And we have, uh, in Australia, we do an alt-med rescue, actually, where a lot of cancer patients are now just totally treating themselves from the internet and really getting into very, very advanced situations. And I'm seeing... Uh, 
patients with fungating breast cancers and horrendous lumps and bumps mm. that you'd see in a third world country. And then they're coming along and saying, well, I've tried that and now I want to see what medicine can offer. And uh, they often it's finish like up it's in... It's too late. It's too late quite often. They finish up in palliative care. So we've gone from um, what we'd have as it's saying a disempowered group of patients many years ago who only listened to doctors to now an overly empowered group and their empowerment's sort of becoming a little bit self-destructive. So it has to come back to centre and it has to come back to where we're looking logically and smartly and doing this best of both worlds medicine and personalising that as much as possible. I work in psycho-oncology as well. I mean, I'm trained as a naturopath and a herbalist. Um, psycho-oncology for me has, uh, I think, been the most effective because it was effective for myself when I was in the situation of, of like having to self-counsel. But for patients, it's been the most effective thing that I think I can offer a patient to, to help them find their resilience and their strategies to make their plans as if they were making a business plan for their recovery and so, not all patients will recover and that's the other thing to address we're running short of time so so is it a question of having the right frame of mind to embrace all the treatments that are out there because i come back to the analogy i used earlier that if you get stung by a, by a stinging nettle you rub a dock leaf on it or you don't but ultimately the pain from the nettle goes anyway, so the body is able to cope with that. But the, the act of rubbing a dock leaf on it is an alternative therapy as opposed to putting vinegar on it, which is a, a, a more of a medicinal way of doing it. Mm. And, of course, it could be a placebo as well, oh, because but, you have an idea that, that doctors, that might help. We know that do do <laughs> doctors have admitted in the last few weeks that they do diagnose people with placebos because the body has a remarkable ability to heal itself. Its default position is to be well. It has a self-repair mechanism. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So... My, marshalling that, is that a psychological thing or is that, is that, is that you having to, to centre yourself and say, right, I know that I can be better or is it accepting that there are treatments out there that can make you better? Because you did the latter, didn't you? Yeah, that's you right. you used the former. Yes, correct. And I think what we must realise for cancer patients is that there's a lot of psychological issues that come with a diagnosis of cancer. There may be the person's life that was difficult before the diagnosis, but we know that there are um, a lot of dissociative disorders and post-traumatic stress disorder with cancer patients. It's the worst place to be making the biggest decisions of your life from. Yeah. And so to help people to, as you use the word, centre, to really uh, be mindful of themselves, to not race off and uh, do desperate things is really the first step into coming into this way of thinking and using mind-body medicine in a way that is helping this self-repair mechanism that we do have. And it is neither one or the other. In my experience, I've worked with 15,000 cancer patients and it is when the two marry and we get this the best of both worlds. And a lot of people in alternative medicine refused to look at a chemotherapy or an antibody or a surgery that may help them. And I think that's quite foolish. In today's world, I think it's quite foolish. We must put these things it's together the and make the best choices. difference between alternative and complementary, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. This is the difference between alternative and complementary. We're out of time. Grace Gawler, G-A-W-L-E-R. If you punch that into a search engine of your choice, you'll find out more about Grace Gawler. For now, many thanks for coming into BBC Radio Bristol. Many thanks. It's been a great opportunity. Thank you. Uh, if you want to find out more about Grace and her work, she's visiting Bristol at the moment and the United Kingdom to talk to cancer experts and oncologists and patients about treatment. She's been at Penny Bron uh, here in the West. Uh, Grace Gawler, G-A-W-L-E-R. BBC Radio Bristol.